So Jewish or Jewish interfaith couples started buying these ketubas and they knew that it was sort of like an old fashioned thing, but they didn't care. They were like, but this is a beautiful piece of art and it represents our marriage and our commitment to each other. And guess what? It did. And so they started to modify the text because maybe they were feminists or maybe it was an interfaith couple. And even though they knew that a traditional ketubah didn't apply to them, they still wanted one. And not only that, they wanted the text to reflect who they were. Are you planning a Jewish or interfaith wedding? Are you lost on where to even begin planning the ceremony, let alone finding a rabbi to help you? Well, it doesn't matter whether one of you is Jewish or you're both Jewish. You deserve a guide. So take a deep breath. I promise it will all be okay. Welcome to Your Jewish Wedding with Rabbi Leanne. Here, I can be everyone's rabbi. (laughs) Yours too. My guests and I will share everything we know to help make your Jewish or interfaith wedding full of tradition and perfectly yours. Hello, everyone. It's so good to be back here with you all. Once again, we're here on a Friday afternoon chatting right after I pulled the challahs out of the oven. It's Sukkot. I think the weather is finally, finally getting cooler. We're just getting through our third summer, I think, but we're getting there. And Sukkot in October, you can't ask for much more except to sit down and have a lovely chat with all of you about something that I know a lot of couples, most Jewish couples or couples, including one Jewish person, have big questions about because it's a bit of a mystifying thing, and that is their ketubah. So if you are on wedding planning Instagram and you've searched anything about Jewish or interfaith weddings, you have probably come across advertisements or um, just some really beautiful photos of ketubot, which is the plural of ketubah, a Jewish marriage document. It's a traditional thing, but you've seen all the beautiful artwork. And if you run around Jewish or Jewish interfaith wedding planning Instagram enough, you will find out that there are celebrity ketubah artists. I know. I am very excited every time I officiate a wedding and there is a ketubah that is illustrated or painted by an artist that I quote know from Instagram. I'm, I actually have a wedding tomorrow um, with a ketubah done by Rochelle, and I have been watching her paint her gorgeous ketubahs for years on Instagram. And I finally get to see one in person. And I think I even get to sign it. I'm very excited. Anyway, I'll give you an update on that if I if I remember in the next episode. Anyway, if you've seen how beautiful you are, you for sure want one. And you might have an understanding, you might have heard that it's a little bit misogynist, maybe, or that it represents a man purchasing a woman. And I have to start out this episode with a disclaimer that that used to be my entire understanding of what a ketubah, a Jewish marriage document was. And I since have learned more as I've worked with couples and done more research into what is a ketubah, where does it come from, where, what exactly does the language mean, what exactly does that legal document mean. You know, I'm not very good with numbers, but I'm somewhat better at understanding legal stuff. So through that study, I've learned that 
you know, just like everything else in life and the world and especially Judaism, there's more than one side to the story. It's, you know, like an octagon or something. But there are a lot of different sides to the way that we can view and interpret this. And just like everything else in Jewish tradition and history, we need to take a look at it in its historical context. So that's what I'm hoping to help you guys do just a little bit during this episode about your ketubah for your Jewish or interfaith wedding. What should you be thinking about when you choose one and order one? And what do you need to make sure, from my opinion, what do you need to make sure is in your ketubah, no matter who is designing it or writing it? Okay. So I said this in the last episode about a brief and imperfect history of ketubahs, but in case you saw that title and decided that the episode would be entirely too boring for you to listen to, I want to make sure to reiterate this one point about ketubah. Okay. In the traditional ketubah text, written in Aramaic, largely unchanged for the last probably 3,000 years. Yes, 3,000 years. Okay, not that long. Maybe like, okay, like 2,200 years. <laughs> okay, largely unchanged since then. This ketubah says in the final paragraph, because it is closing paragraph of legal language for this document, we have completed the act of acquisition from the groom to the bride. So all the stuff that we mentioned above are the conditions for me, Mr. Jewish man, acquiring Miss Jewish woman. Okay. The word acquiring in this context refers to him acquiring the right to be in a marital relationship with her. As a protection for her physical safety. And considerations. In other words, he's acquiring the status of her as his wife, acquiring that he is her husband, and that he is the only one legally who may have this relationship with her. Okay, of course, it's very nuanced. And yes, in in more than one nuance, it is misogynistic. <laughs> However, the tone of it is something that we still have a blessing for in a contemporary Jewish ceremony. And it references that unique physical relationship between the bride and the groom. And I really think it's worth asking ourselves how we can hold on to that in a contemporary ketubah. Okay. So even the rabbis of the Talmud were adamant that, you know, guys, it may look like this means that he's purchasing this woman. That is not what is happening at all. Jews do not believe that you can own a human being, even when the Torah references slaves those people were not under ownership of their quote unquote masters. All the more so when you're marrying somebody, you are not purchasing her in any way, shape or form. And I just want to put that out there. I used to think it was different. Now I've learned some more. And if you want to have a conversation about it, like if you have different information, you want to educate, um, or if you just want to uh, bring your opinion and see, you know, if I agree or, or get some conversation going, I would love that. Email me at your Jewish wedding podcast at gmail.com. It's all about the conversation. And as I always say, there is always more learning to do. So we discussed in the last episode that in summary, this marriage document was designed to be protective of the bride in the case of divorce or general clownery by her husband. If things went south, she could get out of the marriage with financial provisions that would last long enough to ensure her survival and that of her children. Okay, cool. 
in a lot of the ketubas, there was also the stipulation that she could own property. If she made any money on her own, she could keep it. All kinds of individual little things that um, that really showed that her opinion was important and what she was owed in that ketubah, okay? So one more point about a traditional ketubah. Even to this day, the ketubah in an Orthodox wedding is traditionally brought, it's rolled up, they put a beautiful ribbon on it. It is brought to the chuppah by the groom and handed to the bride. She holds on to it for a significant part of the ceremony. And that is to display to everybody that the document belongs to her. It is hers to keep safe for her own protection and as a guarantee that her husband will treat her well. And as a symbol of that promise that like, hey, he's not, this is not just a, I promise to love you and whatever. Like this is a very serious commitment. This is a, it's, it's not only a metaphysical commitment, it's a physical commitment. In the traditional text of the Kachiba, which is still used to this day, the following stipulations were added about 2000 years ago, where the husband promised in the Kachiba to work for his wife, to honor her, to feed her and to support her faithfully, as is the custom of Jewish men according to the universal custom of our people. Give her all the necessities of life and conjugal needs. So yes, it does include money, but you know, even in ancient times, it included more emotional things, more signs of emotional devotion um, and showing that this man was devoted to this woman. So the Ketubah text still says that to this day. Is it mushigashi, the traditional text? No. Does it represent more than money? Yes, it does. And so I think that's worth noting. So even if you guys are considering getting a traditional text of the Ketubah and you're feeling guilty because maybe you're like progressive or, you know, you know, you're feminists um, or you don't, you feel it might be disrespectful to your wife, please do some more reading, do some more research, learn together about it as a couple, make a decision from there. Okay. Consult somebody who knows because it's not black and white. Okay. Yes, there are more contemporary reimaginings, rewritings of the traditional ketubah. My personal ketubah is a reimagining rewriting that my husband and I, mostly I, did really carefully with a lot of research while I was in rabbinical school. What can I say? We didn't have kids yet. I had a lot more time on my hands, but it was pretty cool. Side note, our ketubah is written in Hebrew, not in Aramaic, because that is the language we understood and we did not feel bound to using the traditional Aramaic language. Okay. So there's all kinds of flexibility here. But if you feel like part of you wants that traditional text, don't dismiss it out of hand as something that's old and dead, okay? It doesn't have to be old and dead. At this point in the podcast, I will be doing my level best to move forward without the heteronormative language that I've been using for the past 11 minutes or so of this episode and in the entire last episode. Why has my language been so heteronormative, bride and groom? The simple fact that we were mostly talking about historical and tradition, historical and traditional iterations of the ketubah, which were exclusively for heterosexual couples. Same-sex marriage was not recognized by any ketubah at any time in this historical discussion or in the traditional text of a ketubah. It just wasn't. A same-sex couple still can't get married, according to the Orthodox movement, still today. Okay, so. Because we were talking about that traditional text still used by Orthodox Jews today, I was using heteronormative language because it really it was a bride and groom reference. From this point forward, I will be moving forward, doing my level best to include she, she's, he, he's. Same-sex couples have been getting married in contemporary Judaism for decades. So 
I just want to make sure that I noted that um, to let you all know that I was aware of the language I was using and my desire to be inclusive in that way as we move forward. Okay. So I do want to say that um, the contemporary Ketubah. Okay. So we learned in the last episode how Ketubahs were a big bougie deal in the, in the medieval times. Like there were these like rich Jews who had gold leaf all over their ketubas and fancy artists. And some of the artists were not even Jewish. They didn't care. They just wanted the best of the best. And it was all, you know, preserved perfectly. So we found them hundreds of years later. Beautiful. And that kind of really fell out of fashion in probably in conjunction, honestly, with the Enlightenment, where Jews were just doing their best to like assimilate. Um not all the Jews, obviously, but uh, the Jews who were assimilating into like regular society. So like moving to London, living next door to non-Jews, joining parliament, working in businesses on Saturdays, like it was no thing. Okay. The custom of a marriage contract was a very Jewish thing and not a thing that non-Jews did generally. Okay. We talked in the last episode about, about why things written down are so important and remain so important for the Jewish people. And we'll talk about that a little more in this episode. But just because it was written down didn't mean it had to be art. Okay. So my in-laws ketubah, we have on file in our like in our like firebox in our house because she was able to find it. And it can be important for like record keeping if, you know, God forbid we all need to emergency move to Israel or something. The fact that we have that ketubah is important for um, showing um, status as Jews. She found it in like an envelope in the back of her closet. It was like folded in three. It was colored. And I think it had like some reproduction of medieval art around it, like medieval illumination. But it was like a photocopy, like a color copy of it. And as I said, it was like stashed in the back of her closet. Okay. Certainly not large. Certainly not fancy. Not custom text, right? It was, you know, her Hebrew name and her husband's Hebrew name were like written in on blanks. So they were not custom added to the text or anything like that. That was sort of the normal thing until probably like the 1990s when the wedding industry started becoming a thing. Okay. I don't know if it was like Aaron and I talked about that TLC show, A Wedding Story. Maybe it was because of like more programs on cable TV, the proto internet. People started being able to imagine weddings that were different from the weddings that were like in their little towns, right? So, you know, in the 60s, 70s, I guess everybody used the same florist. Everybody's wedding cake was the same. Most people got their wedding dresses from more or less the same boutiques. A wedding was a wedding. It was a wedding. Well, along comes the wedding industry and changes all that. It is a multi-billion dollar industry today, but the idea of getting different ideas for things that could be unique and special and uniquely, specially meaningful for your particular wedding started to become a thing. And everything related to weddings, as you know, if you are a bride or groom and listening to this podcast, planning on getting married, you know full well that everything is customized from the invitations to the table linens, to the venue, to the dress, to the favors that you give your bridesmaids, to everything, everything, and also to ketubas. Okay. So Ketubas started to become basically part of the wedding industry. The Jewish artists were like, 
what do you guys think? Do you think we could sell big, beautiful ketubas again like they used to in the medieval times? And the answer turned out to be yes. So Jewish or Jewish interfaith couples started buying these ketubas and they knew that it was sort of like an old fashioned thing, but they didn't care. They were like, but this is a beautiful piece of art and it represents our marriage and our commitment to each other. And guess what? It did. And so they started to modify the text because maybe they were feminists or maybe it was an interfaith couple. And even though they knew that a traditional ketubah didn't apply to them, they still wanted one. And not only that, they wanted the text to reflect who they were. So this resurgence of ketubah as like a big thing in Jewish weddings, you know, you can knock all the excesses of a contemporary wedding, all the live long day for what it's worth. I don't think contemporary weddings are like that bad. I think it's a beautiful thing when people can have a fully custom, beautifully bougie celebration of their new phase in life and the beginning of their lives together as a couple, not obviously not knocking the wedding wedding industry at all. I love working in it and I love meeting all the professionals. I'm so glad ketubas are part of it. I have to tell you, I am. Why? Because it means that brides and grooms are deeply attached to the ketubas they choose, just like they're attached to the flowers they choose and the song they're walking down the aisle to and all this stuff. The fact that a ketubah, a traditional legalistic document that stretches back thousands of years, is this important to contemporary couples, gosh, it just warms my heart. I have to tell you. I'm so excited about it. And I'm even more excited because because of Instagram and the internet, there are these days celebrity ketubah artists, like I said. And I think that that is something that was also true for medieval Jews. What a trip, guys that things are so different and yet still so the same as they were done hundreds of years ago. Don't you find that incredible? I do. I'm sitting here like smiling like an idiot over this. I'm so excited. So anyway, you might be wondering, should we get a ketubah? So if you know that you're uncomfortable with the traditional meaning of a ketubah, the traditional text of a ketubah, go ahead online, just Google around, look on ketubah.com, search on Etsy. You're going to find so, so many contemporary translations of the ketubah text, reimaginings, some that are written in Hebrew, some that were originally written in English and then translated to Hebrew, which I think a bunch of them are. Almost all the contemporary ketubahs are not even written in Aramaic. They're written in modern Hebrew. Imagine, like what? how mind-blowing. Modern Hebrew has only been a language for like over a hundred years right? Hebrew was a dead language until like the late 1800s. So imagine now we have these very, very, very old documents being reimagined. The spirit is the same, but written in a language that was only recently revived within the last couple centuries. How incredible. This is how the Jewish people survive for this long, by the way, guys. We are like, (laughs) we are just tenacious. So when people are choosing contemporary ketubah texts now, they really are putting their personal values, the things that are important to them in their particular relationship, um, even specific promises they've made to one another. You know, usually people who are choosing a contemporary ketubah text do not include mentions of money, which you might argue kills the original purpose of the ketubah, right? Which was to protect one of the parties in it and to provide him or her a means to ask 
for divorce or a grounds to say, listen, this marriage is over. So even though we now enjoy, you know, women enjoy the capability to hold jobs, to make money, to maintain their own livelihoods and to support themselves in, God forbid, the event of divorce. And now that people usually, okay, both of them bring quote unquote dowries, like you move in together, somebody brings the Le Creuset, somebody brings the stand mixer, you both brought a dowry, congratulations, right? All things are equal now, okay? So we don't need mentions of money, you might say. However, the contemporary Ketubah text has evolved with, thank goodness, I think the gentle and encouraging guidance of a bunch of rabbis who have told people, listen, even if we're not including actual sums of money, because whatever, because it doesn't reflect the time, reflect the times, because we think it's dehumanizing, for whatever reason, it should still include an echo of these provisions that we talked about are still in a traditional ketubah, which is that each person involved in that ketubah, the bride and bride, the groom and groom, the bride and groom, are going to promise to work hard for one another, to honor one another, to feed and support one another. Like, think about what it means to get married, okay? We have so much symbolism of home and so much language of home, right? The chuppah that you stand under, we're going to talk about it in an episode very soon, it represents the home. The idea is that the two of you are forming a new home together. And what is a home? A home is a place where you feel respected, honored, supported, and fed, (laughs) you know, metaphorically and literally. Side note, when my husband goes on a business trip, he eats out at restaurants a lot. A lot of times he's like taking colleagues or partners out for dinner or whatever. And some people might be like so excited at the chance to like eat at these restaurants that you wouldn't normally pay for. You know, we have teenagers in the house. Everything's expensive. So you would think he would be thrilled to like go have these fancy dinners. He can't stand it. (laughs) He comes home and I am no cook. First of all, I hate cooking. Second of all, I'm not good at it. But I cook, you know, food for people to eat in our house so that we're not always going to Chipotle or whatever. And he comes home and he's like, I just love the food at home. (laughs) And he says, I just love simple food, (laughs) which is a nod to the fact that I don't cook anything elaborate or fancy, but he actually likes it. You know, so home is a place... Where, you know, even in a traditional ketubah, in this Aramaic ketubah that actually mentions, you know, we're bringing 200 pieces of silver in exchange for this bride. The fact that it says, I will feed you, is a very human thing to promise somebody that you are devoted to. It's a very human thing of the most basic of needs. You know, it, sh- it says, I know you at this most basic of levels in order to be able to feed. And Hopefully, the you know the vast majority of contemporary ketubas that I see, even the ones that are like written down in English and translated to Hebrew, so not even there's like no tie to the traditional ketubah. Even if they don't say these words, work on our feed and support you, um, they still talk about those things, right? There are, you know, it, it might be in a euphemism like "I will always be a place of comfort for you. I will be there to listen to your problems." But my encouragement for you, if you're looking at a contemporary ketubah, you guys know you don't want a traditional one. You want to find a text that like suits. Think about this echo of the wisdom of ketubahs all the way back from Talmudic times. Try to find one that includes, I will work for you. I will honor you. I will feed you and I will support faithfully. 
And ask yourselves, what does that mean? Okay. When you're sitting down and looking at these texts, ask yourselves, what does that mean? And does this ketubah reflect that as it applies to us? You know, if I was rewriting my ketubah, which obviously I can't do and I wouldn't want to do because God forbid, I'm not getting divorced. I'm not getting married again. I told you guys this. I Would I put a reference to my husband's love of simple food in it? Absolutely. <laughs> because it shows, you know, your commitment to one another in the day-to-day, what you will do to take care of one another. And that goes beyond money. Even the traditional ketubah recognized that. It didn't put it front and center, but you can. You can put that front and center in your kashuba. And if that's important to you, I really encourage you to do that. Okay. It's not a long episode, you guys, because I'm just going to give you, well, let's take a break. And when we come back, I will talk about the things that I ask for my couples to make sure are included in their kashuba. Okay, welcome back. So one thing we've been kind of dancing around this whole time is the fact that a traditional ketubah is between a Jewish person and a Jewish person. And even if you're like, well, it's whatever, you know, we have a beautiful interfaith relationship. We're so excited to have this interfaith family. We're doing this beautiful interfaith wedding. Rabbi Leanne, you're all excited about it. Um, And then they get to the ketubah. Now on websites like ketubah.com, there's like it's very cool. There's like a platform and a form that you guys go through and fill in the blanks. And a lot of it won't make sense to you. Like it asks if your parents are alive still. Um, it asks if one of you converted or, you know, all kinds of stuff, right? It asks all kinds of questions. It asks what time your wedding ceremony is taking place. All of those things really are important for the ketubah. And, uh, it asks the bride and groom to enter their stuff. And then um, it requires actually the rabbi to go through and check it, which I love. Anyway, that's going to be your first awakening as an interfaith couple to the complexities of doing this when one of the partners is not Jewish. Okay. So why? Because the ketubah includes each member of the couple's Hebrew name. Now, Even if the last time you went to synagogue, if you're Jewish, even if the last time you went to synagogue was your bar mitzvah, you know very well that you have a Hebrew name. Sometimes you might not remember it. Maybe you have to ask your parents. They might not remember it. They might have to ask your bubby, but you have one. A Hebrew name exists in the world that identifies you among the Jewish people, okay? Your non-Jewish spouse does not have one. And I think that can be a moment of kind of panic for a lot of people. And they're like, uh, uh, what do we do? It feels maybe sometimes to that non-Jewish partner, like she's out of place. Maybe it's kind of the first whiff she's gotten of like not belonging here. Okay. Please don't panic. Okay. It's going to be okay. The only reason that your names are included there is not to do like the, you know, prove you're not a robot, like verification check. Okay. Prove you're a Jew. Check this box here with your Hebrew. No, it is to identify that These exact people, okay? So Mordechai, Aharon, Ben Shlomo, Ve'ahuva is the name of one guy. This is his name. He's the son of this person and this person. And he's getting married to this other guy who doesn't have a Hebrew name, but that's fine. We are going to put a name here in Hebrew letters that gives us all that same detail 
even though he's not Jewish and his parents aren't Jewish, it's okay. What is the reason for having both those names there? It's to make sure that we understand and we can trace this document back to belonging to one unique pair of individuals, right? If Mordechai is marrying Trevor, we want to make sure that we know exactly which Mordechai and which Trevor it was. Okay, we can do that by including their full name, which according to Jewish custom is the person's name, his son of, his mother, his father, or both of them. So usually the Jewish person in the couple can find his Hebrew name, no problem. He looks at his bar mitzvah certificate, everything's fine. The non-Jewish member of the couple, okay, Trevor, we can write Trevor using Hebrew letters. Okay, it's Tet, Resh, Vav, Vav. Raish, Trevor. There you go. And then he is the son of Angela and Tony, maybe. Angela and Tony. Don't those people, don't they sound like nice moms and dads? I love meeting moms and dads, by the way. I'm excited to meet Angela and Tony if they exist. If your mom and dad's name is Angela and Tony, write me an email, yourjewishweddingpodcast at gmail.com. I want want to meet them. Okay. So we can write in Hebrew letters, Trevor, Ben, Angela, Vitoni. If you're like Rabbi Leanne, that's really weird. Angela and Tony are not Hebrew names. Or I feel weird putting my non-Jewish parents' names in this Jewish document. Fine. Another option is you can write Trevor from the house of, what's your last name, Trevor? Richardson. Okay, Trevor Richardson. So in Hebrew, in a Hebrew formulation, that would be Trevor from the house of Richardson. It's when we know your family name, but for whatever reason, we don't have your parents' names. That's a thing that Jews have done forever. We could do it for non-Jews too. And it is often done. I have had non-Jewish partners do both ways. And I believe this weekend's wedding, he's using his mom and dad's name. Okay. So it's fine. We just want to make sure that that Mordechai and that Trevor are these specific Mordechai and Trevors to make sure that we know which man is wearing, marrying which man. So that some other Trevor can't come forward and claim that he was the Trevor in this ketubah, okay? But Rabbi Leanne, there aren't that many names. You know, how can we make sure? Should we switch? Let's switch names. Okay. Belinda is getting married to Saralea. Okay. So Belinda and Saralea are getting married mazel tov. And we know there's lots of Belindas and lots of Saraleas. And maybe, you know, Belinda's parents' names are like Chris and Steve. Okay. And how many Belinda's daughters of Chris and Steve are there in the world? Probably more than one. Okay. But the ketubah goes on. Okay. Even before your names, it mentions the exact date and time in the Hebrew calendar. And then it says, which corresponds with this date and time in the non-Hebrew calendar. It also says the place that you're getting married. So even if the chances were high that Belinda and Saralea with those exact parents' names, we're also getting married, let's say even this year. How likely is it that Belinda and Saralea were also getting married on the same day and time? Maybe it's possible. Okay, but is there another Belinda and Saralea getting married that day, this time, in this exact place? Probably not. Okay, so there's a reason for that legal formulation. It's to keep good records. Why do the Jewish people have such an obsession with records? Well, When you've had so many genocides, it's kind of important to you to keep records of life cycle stuff that happened, contracts, all that kind of thing. So that if, God forbid, it happens again, you have a history, you have a a basis for reconnecting all that stuff. Okay. 
We really want to make sure all that information in there is correct, however you wish to represent it. And by the way, sometimes um, one of the brides is not Jewish, but she's planning to convert. I may encourage her to choose a Hebrew name before we put it in the ketubah. And then that way, her Hebrew name would be recorded in the ketubah as part of that family. We've I have done that at least once before. Okay, so these are all conversations we can have. Do not be shy or scared to ask me. Okay, if you do convert Belinda and you have not had your name written in the ketubah, don't worry. There will be documents about your conversion too that shows your name change from Belinda to Bracha or whatever it is. Not your actual name change, but your Hebrew ritual name change. Okay, maybe you want to change your regular name too. But anyhow, those are things that I require from my couples to have date, time, location, and their full names, meaning the names of them and the names of their parents or the family that they come from. I want you to make sure that you have somebody who can read the Hebrew and who is proficient at reading it. Read over your ketubah. In the last calendar year, I have found ketubah with three ketubah with serious mistakes in this important part of the ketubah. So either a name, a date, or a place. I had a couple whose ketubah said they were getting married in 2002 because the ketubah writer put, forgot the 20. I had another one where the groom's name, like he had two names and they were flip-flopped. So his middle name in Hebrew had been written down as his first name, big catastrophe. And finally, I had one for one of my Pittsburgh weddings where their kajiba said they were getting married in Atlantic City. So now you all can see why I'm so concerned about checking these things, because most people are not proficient enough with Hebrew to find these errors. Are these errors an emergency or a disaster? No. It's just the kind of thing that you really want to get right, okay? Think about it like, I don't know, like a birth certificate, right? If Belinda was looking at her birth certificate and found out that it actually, on the birth certificate, there was a typo and it said Melinda, that would feel really weird, wouldn't it? Like you would have this sense that that's not right, that that doesn't represent me, okay? So my whole life I've been Belinda. My name's Belinda. My dad's called me Belinda, you know, all the time growing up. Now here I am finding out my name's Melinda. So imagine this couple, you know, looking back at their ketubah and somebody comes to their house and she reads Hebrew really well and she's like, did you guys know you got married in Atlantic City? Uh, no, we didn't, <laughs> right? So you really want to make sure those parts are correct. Okay. Um, the other thing that I always insist on is that the end of the ketubah includes these three words, hakol sharir vekayam, all this is valid and binding. So that is Jewish, a Jewish legal phrase that gives the document legality. In other words, this is not a pretty copy of your vows. It's not merely a pretty copy of your vows. It is something that is legally represented, if not binding according to Jewish law. But Vakol Shariva Kayam means all this is valid and binding. I have asked Ketubah artists to add that to the end. They have complied. Okay. There are some other considerations that you may want to consider that um, a, a traditional ketubah is not considered kosher that you may want to um, add as a consideration to your own ketubah. So the spacing of the text, even if you're going to do like you're going to be artsy artsy with the ketubah, the, the text should be written in such a way that it doesn't have enough space to add extras like after the fact. So that you, you, somebody couldn't amend the ketubah after it's already been signed, okay? Some rabbis 
have the stipulation that when the Kachuba artist prints the text, that one letter should be left out so that the rabbi can ask for the bride and groom's confirmed consent at the moment of signing of the ketubah. And then when the rabbi writes that, that, that missing letter, that is like his signature that they accepted this contract, that they accepted this commitment. It's pretty cool, I think. Okay. So all that said, what do we have left as far as the, the text of the ketubah? The signing. And a lot of people have this question about who can sign the ketubah. If you are a Jewish person marrying a non-Jewish person, according to the rules of Jewish law, you're, there's, it, it doesn't cover your kind of wedding. Okay, The rules of, of Jewish marriage in Jewish law are written as applicable to two Jewish people getting married. Okay, So if you are a Jewish person marrying a non-Jewish person, you are already outside of that understanding. And as such, I personally am not opposed to non-Jewish people signing your ketubah. Because the understood purpose of a ketubah witness is somebody who has seen the two of you accept what was written in this ketubah willingly and made vows accordingly. And so that person is kind of like a godfather or a godmother for your marriage. Like she kind of sees if you aren't upholding your end of the bargain and can attest to that in the case of a dispute, God forbid. Or, you know, if if you're asking like, gosh, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? She could say like, you know, just reflect on your ketubah. I was there when you accepted it. I signed it. Like, it's an important thing. You know, it's that kind of a vibe. So the only requirement that I have for the people signing your ketubah is not the sex of the person. And it's not the Jewish status of the person, meaning it can be a man or a woman, it can be a non-Jew signing your ketubah, as long as that person is not related to you. If the person is related to you, there's a possibility, and this is understood in the general sense of Jewish contracts, like everywhere. If my sister signs a legal document as a witness on my behalf, right, she has an interest in me benefiting from that contract because she's she's my ride or die, right? That's how it's supposed to be. Your family members are supposed to ride or die for you. So if there's a dispute, whose side are they going to take? Of course, they're going to take your side. So it should be people that you consider truly to be an impartial representative of somebody who can be a witness to the promises that you just made. Like, yep, I was there. I saw that promise they made. I can attest to that. Um, So traditionally, it's uh, at least two witnesses. Traditionally, the bride and groom do not sign that ketubah at all because their names are in it and they accepted it. And that's what the people are signing to attest to. Do you understand? So also traditionally, the rabbi doesn't sign it either because the rabbi is like presiding over the the ceremony. Uh, of course, you know, she was a witness to it. However, the contemporary nature of Ketubot, it's going to hang on your wall. It is, it is a record, yes, but and it is a legal document, yes, but it's also a beautiful memory of your wedding day. And so you want to have signatures that represent that slice of time, right? So typically in contemporary ketubot, I see both partners signing on the dotted line. And there is a cool sense of finality to that. Like it's, it makes it super official, right? Because you got your marriage license. That was a few days before your wedding. Um, it feels kind of cool to like have something signed, sealed, delivered before your ceremony, I think. So um, it's pretty common for brides and grooms to sign their ketubot these days. It feels like a very special moment. They get really excited. Um, 
And it feels like very Jewishly official too, which it is. And then they they kind of want to remember the rabbi or if there's any questions about their marriage, it's nice to have the rabbi's name there so they can always remember, you know, who knows if I officiated your wedding, who knows if you'll remember my name in 10 years. You probably have like a couple of toddlers. You won't remember your own name. Okay. So it's kind of nice to have the rabbi's name there. So typically I will sign it. You have an option to sign in Hebrew or in English. Again, for the same reasons, a lot of people like to sign in Hebrew because it feels very official. I can help with the Hebrew spelling of names. I can write examples. I usually bring printed examples for the witnesses if I can get their Hebrew names before the fact. So ask me. I can help with all of that. No worries, no stress. I can help with transliterating your name into Hebrew. So Trevor, I just spelled Trevor's name right here on the podcast. Um, I can write that out for him so he knows how to write Trevor in Hebrew letters. It's very sweet. I love it when couples do this, but you don't have to. Your English name is fine because Jews have always done stuff in the vernacular, you guys. The traditional ketubah is written in Aramaic. Why? That was the language Jews spoke. If you speak English, sign your name in English. It's not a big deal. But if you like the Jewiness of signing your name in Hebrew... Even though it's printed up above in your ketubah, you can sign it down below. That's fine. And I will be happy to help you. Fun times. As far as the art goes, I, you know, I don't have much to say about the art except that literally anything goes. Okay. I'm going to put some notes in some links in the show notes. There's this website called thisisnotaketubah.com. Like go there right now. There are like Van Gogh ketubahs. There are comic book ketubahs. There's like Jackson Pollock inspired ketubah. Oh, the, I, I wrote in my notes here. There's a Charlie Brown ketubah on eketubah.com. There's a Tim Burton ketubah. Okay. So, I mean, gosh, who doesn't love Tim Burton? But anyway, the artwork on the ketubah, I really want to bring this home, especially to my interfaith couples. Are you listening? This ketubah is not a Jewish thing that you are signing. It's not a Jewish thing that you're symbolically participating in, okay? Just like your wedding ceremony, your ketubah equally represents both of you. Think back to the pieces of silver and the goats and the mattresses and whatever in the original dowry, right? The original ketubah. Let's go back to the original spirit of the ketubah. It said exactly what each person was bringing to the marriage and what each person was agreeing to contribute. So if you're having artwork on your ketubah, it should represent both of you. So if you are Greek Orthodox and you're, and you're getting married to a Jewish person, maybe don't put a cross on the ketubah, okay? Probably definitely don't. But use Greek symbols or even like the architecture of, you know, Greek churches or something. If you're Indian, there are, I saw at least one ketubah with like a henna design and it had like henna hands around it. There are ketubahs that can represent where you're from, like even if it's not like a, you know, super ethnic place, like I've seen them with subway maps, with city skylines of the city you're both from or the city you met. Okay. And if you are choosing a ketubah with whatever significance it is, I don't know, maybe it has your dog on it. Okay. Maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a special tree in your backyard that you think is so beautiful. You never want to forget it. You, you send a picture of it to the artist and she paints it on your ketubah. Amazing. I want to encourage you, because this is a document of your relationship, of your life, of the love you have for one another, and you know, guys, life is fleeting, okay? It seems like a long time, but we don't, humans don't last that long, and memories don't last that long. Like, how many of you can tell me stories of your great-great-grandparents, okay? So if you have a ketubah made that is personal to you in any way, I want to encourage you to ask the artist 
to include your reflection on the symbolism of the artwork, why you chose it, what it means, and to just maybe place it on like um, some archival paper and, and stick it to the back of the ketubah so that if people discover it in five, six hundred years, a thousand years, what a gift to have that explanation of how it fits you perfectly, right? So just please consider doing that. And I know if you're a ketubah artist and you're hearing that and you think it's a good idea or you'd be willing to do that for couples, please uh, chime in your Jewish wedding podcast at gmail.com. Let me know. I'd be happy to read your comment or have you on the show even. That would be wonderful. So the ketubah signing ceremony, I guess last but definitely not least, because that's when it actually happens. I've seen it happen in janitor's closets. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be highly decorated. Usually... I will try to at least grab some of the bridesmaids' bouquets or something to sort of um, zhuzh up the space because almost always the ketubah signing is a very sweet moment because there is that sense of like, oh my gosh, this is like sign sealed delivered. We're really doing the thing. I've seen parents get so excited, even if their kids didn't. It, there's, there can be a lot of unexpected joy in the ketubah signing room. So if you're one of my couples, I always ask you, should we go through um, any kind of embellishment or ceremony or readings, or should I invite participation of the people who are gathered there to watch you sign your kashuba? Um, We always go through that. That's always a possibility. So I always want to make sure that whatever that ketuba means to you, we honor that. And even if it's just like you're signing a ketubah because your grandma signed a ketuba and she told you how excited she was for you to do it, you know what? Then grandma's going to be there. Or the spirit of grandma will be there. And even if it's not directly important to you, it'll be important for that reason, right? There are all kinds of reasons to have a ketubah. None of them are wrong, okay? Unless you think it's like actual purchasing a human and then we'll have to have a talk, okay? But um, as always, if you have any questions about anything we've covered today, I don't know if you could tell, but I have been smiling for this whole recording because I love ketubahs. I love artwork. The artwork of the ketubah. And I am really, really hoping to have at least one quote unquote celebrity ketubah designer on this podcast to talk about her process and what it means to her and all that. I just love the whole thing. I think that the the meaning of ketubah, it is written, is just so important in its Jewish context and in, in today's context. We lose a lot. Everything's digital, you know? We lose a lot of connection to records and what it means to willingly participate, to write your name in a record of a line of people, right? Because your parents are written inside of that ketubah also, right? You're placing yourself as part of the Jewish family tree, like quite literally. Yes, even you, Trevor and Belinda, okay? You married a Jew, you're in. Okay, we've talked about this before. And I just think it's such a beautiful thing. And it can be so personal And it's one of the few things in Jewish tradition that has pretty much always been intensely personal. And I think that's an incredible thing to be aware of and to grab onto. So please, if you have any questions about the ketubah process, please email me yourjewishweddingpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Instagram now at yourjewishweddingpodcast. I would love to hear from you. Your questions, your curiosity, your desire to learn more can only ever make this show better. And that's why I'm so excited to hear from you because I love these conversations and I love this opportunity to learn about Jewish wedding stuff together with you guys so that you have the best ceremony, the most fitting ceremony and and the most perfect day, at least Jewishly wise, that you possibly can. Um, And remember, 
there is always more learning to do. So until next time. Well, everyone, I have had the best time being your rabbi for this episode. I'm so glad you joined me for another little bit of insight into planning your perfect Jewish or interfaith wedding. Until you can smash that glass on your big day, you'd might as well smash that subscribe button for this podcast. I don't want you to miss a single thing. Remember, you can always find me, Rabbi Leanne, on Instagram at at yourohiorabbi, all one word, for even more tips, tricks, recommendations, and wisdom on Jewish weddings. If you want to work with me on your wedding, you'll find all the info you need at yourohiorabbi.com. Until next time, remember, you deserve the perfect wedding for you. Don't settle for anything less.